Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to Liquid Church. I'm Pastor Tim. We're so happy you are here to celebrate Christmas Eve. Hey, if you're new, Liquid is one church, but we have seven locations. So can we welcome our entire church family joining us on the big screen or on Church Online? Glad you're here for is what is our final Advent service of the season. Now, Advent is a Latin word uh, that means coming or arrival. And so for 2,000 years, followers of Christ have used these four weeks leading up to Advent really to prepare their hearts for Christmas or the arrival of Jesus. Now, here's what you need to know for today. There are two Advents that Christians celebrate. The first Advent or coming of Christ looks back to the birth of Jesus, right? 2,000 years ago, it's why we're here, a baby born in Bethlehem to save the world from our sins. But the second Advent... Yeah, that, you know, he's like, where's this kid? Where's the baby? <laughs> the second advent doesn't just look back. It looks forward to the second coming or return of Christ where he's going to rule and reign as a conquering king. So we're going to have fun today, boy. So uh, here's the deal. We're going to look back and we're going to look forward today. And every week of Advent, we've invited a church family to light a candle on our Advent wreath. So we're blessed to have Zona and Kevin and their two kids. Can we give them a hand? We're glad you guys are here. High five, sweet girl. Fist pump, fist bump, yeah. Blow it up, blow it up. All right, all right, we're good. Now, they're going to light the fifth candle on our Advent wreath. It's this white one in the middle. It's called... Christ candle, and it's white because it represents the light of Christ, right? The light of Christ is coming in to dispel the darkness of this world. And it's always lit at the end of Advent to remind us that Christ is here. So let's listen now as they share our Advent reading from 1 Thessalonians, which looks forward to the second Advent or coming of Christ. A scripture reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. Let's pray, church. Jesus, yeah, thank you, Lord. Give him a praise. That's awesome. Oh, we're going to have a lively service. Now let's do this. Let's just bow our heads. All our campuses just for prayer. Father, we thank you for the prophecy about the first coming of Christ. That's why we're here. We are looking back and celebrating the arrival of our Savior. But we also thank you for the promise that he is coming back. That Christ is a conquering king, a baby who didn't just live and die on a cross, but was raised to life, is seated at the right hand of the Father. And now, Lord, we have this hope that one day we'll be reunited with you forever through faith in Christ. So we ask your blessing on Christmas Eve and on all of our families. In Jesus' name, everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Can we thank our family? Thank you, Kevin. Grateful for you guys. Thanks, Zona. Grateful. Great job. Great job. Awesome, man. 
He's like, can I touch the, don't touch the candle. Don't touch the candle. All right, well, listen, here's the deal. Um, we're really excited about uh, Christmas Eve, and I want to just let you right know, uh, the title of my message, it's very, very simple. It's Christ is coming again, okay? So turn to your neighbor, poke him, just give him a little, little poke, say, hey, Christ is coming again. He's coming again, okay? This, this is like our great hope as Christians. If you're like, how's Christianity different? <laughs> oh, some of you are pretty aggressive with the poke, all right. <laughs> This is the next major event on the Christian calendar. Here's the deal. If you're new to faith, or maybe you're just returning to church after some time away, there are three events on the Christian calendar. There's the birth of Christ, which we celebrate on Christmas. Maybe that's why you're here. You come on Christmas Eve. It's a family tradition. Some of you come back in the spring uh, for the death and resurrection celebration. We call it Easter. Uh, if that's the last time you're here, hey, welcome back. Right? Like, cool to see you again. Uh, but there's a third major event on the Christian calendar I don't want anyone here to miss, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible has over 600 prophecies or predictions about the return of Christ to planet Earth. And it's called the second advent or second coming of Christ. And it's going to be at a future date and time that's known only to God the Father. The Bible says every eye will see Christ return. Only this time, he's going to look a little different, right? At the second coming, Jesus is not going to arrive as this kind of helpless baby born in a manger. But the Bible says as an all-powerful, glorious risen king with fire in his eyes and the whole world in his hands. And I believe we are closer to Christ's second advent than the first, which was 2,000 years ago. In fact, the return of Christ, I think, it's the most hopeful prophecy in the entire Bible. And today, I want to tell you exactly what to expect, because at Advent, we're not just celebrating that, hey, Christ came once upon a time. We are proclaiming a truth that Christ is coming again. Amen? He's coming again. And I just want to make sure you're ready. So let's look at this scripture that our family just read from 1 Thessalonians 4. This is a prophecy that the Apostle Paul wrote around 52 AD to a church in Thessalonica. This was like the second largest city in Greece. And Paul wrote it because the Christians there, they had all these questions about the return of Christ. Like they believed Jesus is coming again, but they were worried. They're like, hey, what, what's going to happen to my family and friends who already died? Like, like will we see them again? W will I get like left behind? And so Paul writes these words to clear up the confusion. He says, brothers and sisters, I, well, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no what, church? Have no hope. Again, I believe the return of Jesus is the most hope-filled prophecy in the entire Bible. So just to be clear, this is not a message like to freak you out, okay? Like, oh, we're talking about the end of the world here, okay? I'm trying to whet your appetite a little. Because when I say that, that truth that, hey, Christ is coming again, L let me just ask, like, does that idea excite you? Or, or does that scare you a little bit? <laughs> because I think a lot of people honestly get nervous. They're like, wait, wait, are, are you talking, Tim, about the, the end of the world? Yeah, I'm talking about the end of injustice, the end of poverty, the end of racism, the end of sin, the end of sickness, the end of disease. This moment when Christ returns to set things right in a very broken world. And see, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is like a thrilling promise that should just flood your heart with hope. 
Because this is where history is headed, right? I mean, hey, we, we live in this broken world that we watch the news. It's like, man, this thing's getting darker and darker. But we, we believe with Jesus, the best is yet to come, amen? Do you know this? There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the first advent, predicting the first coming of Christ. There are twice that many about his second advent. In fact, one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament is about the second coming of Christ to earth. In John 14, before Jesus left to heaven, he made this promise to his followers. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going there to do what? Prepare a place for you. And then he says, if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will what? Say it together, church. I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So this is a promise straight from the lips of Jesus. I will be back. Or as Arnold would say, I'll be back. <laughs> right? Kind of but it's not meant to scare us. Again, in Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. It's really interesting. Over 50 times the Bible basically warns Christians, hey, wake up, stay alert, get ready for Christ's return. What's the point? It's imminent, meaning it can happen at any time. Jesus said, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Bible says he'll come like a thief in the night. Why, does, why do thieves come at night? Because you're not expecting it. In other words, the truth is this. We don't know the exact timing of Christ's return, but we know this. In all of human history, we've never been closer than at this moment. And so Paul says, let me tell you how it's going to happen. Verse 16, he says, for the Lord himself will come down from where? Heaven. Now, if I ask, where is Jesus right now? What would you say, right? Heaven. Good job. I heard another kid say, he's right over the North Pole. Right? He's kind of like, it's like that Santa tractor, right? No, that's Santa, that's not Jesus. Right now, the, <laughs> right now, the Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But when the moment comes and God the Father says, go, Jesus Christ will stand up and he will step into the corridors of light and descend down into the atmosphere of planet Earth from which he rose 2,000 years ago. And Paul says when Christ returns, three things will happen. There will be a resurrection of dead believers. There will be a rapture of living Christians. And then both living and dead Christians will be reunited with the Lord. Three things, a resurrection, a rapture, and a reunion. I want to look at each one of these very quickly and starting with the resurrection. And that is this promise that dead Christians will be raised back to life when Jesus returns. I want you to remember, the Thessalonians were worried about their loved ones who had died, right? You probably have people in your family maybe who passed on. They were upset. They had moms, they had dads, they had uncles and, and cousins and grandparents who died. They went to the funerals and they saw their bodies laid in the ground. And they were like, what about them? And so Paul gives these beautiful promise to comfort their hearts. He says, brothers and sisters, we're family. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe, here it is, 
that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus who? Let's say it. Those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, this is interesting. Notice Paul doesn't call Christians who die dead Christians. He says they've, they've fallen asleep. It's like they're taking a nap. And some of you are like, well, you know, Tim, is he just being poetic, you know, to kind of soften the blow for the kids? Like, oh, we're putting the dog to sleep, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> like like when, when the Bible says they're asleep in Jesus, what's it mean? Let me show you a photo I took at a cemetery behind our house. It's from the 1700s, and when my kids were little, I used to take them there to play hide-and-seek. Uh, I, I know that sounds kind of weird, but it, like, it worked for us. Um, it's just sort of strange, right? Uh, they can work it out in therapy. They're older, okay? You know, it's kind of... <laughs> what I love about it is because it's from the 1700s, and some of the tombstones are actually back to the 1600s, over 300 years old. And so when we played hide-and-seek, we would like to look at the tombstones. And what's interesting is so many of them have those letters carved on the front. R-I-P, which stands for what? Rest in peace. You know where that phrase comes from? The early Christians. The Bible teaches that the moment a Christian dies, their physical body is buried in the ground. But their spirit or their soul, the real them, immediately goes to be with God in heaven. It's the promise of 2 Corinthians 5 that says... To be absent from the body is to be what, church? Present with the Lord. Understand? So at death, your spirit is instantly in the presence of Jesus. But in a sense, it's like your body goes to sleep. It's laid to rest in a grave, to wait. Waiting to be revived or woken up when Christ returns. This is the fascinating part. The Greek word for cemetery, I'm going to teach you a little Greek, is koimaterion. Can everyone say that? Koimaterion. Now you can order better at a diner in New Jersey, okay? Now a little Greek. Koimaterion, it means an inn or a place of rest. It's like a motel. So if you went to, uh, on like a trip, you know, road trip in the first century, you would check in overnight at a koimaterion where you went to sleep and you would wake up refreshed in the morning. And that's why the early tombstones of the Christians would say RIP, rest in peace, because you're about to get woke when Jesus returns. You're about to get woke. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ will be raised to life. It's like this divine wake-up call. Verse 15 says, according to the Lord's word. So this is the word of Jesus. We tell you, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, the advent of Christ, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a what? A loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice there are three sounds that describe Christ's wake-up call. <laughs> Paul's like, there's this loud command, there's going to be a voice of the archangel, that's Michael, and the trumpet call of God. Now, in my research, I found some scholars say those are three different sounds. Others say, no, it's the same sound, it's just described three different ways. Quite honestly, I'm like, who cares? Going to be loud. <laughs> it, it, those of you who think our band is loud, the band is a little loud. Get ready. <laughs> this one goes to 11, okay? <laughs> Volume, <laughs> clarity. When the trumpet call of God goes off, God is going to shake the earth and graves are going to split open and the cemeteries you see on 287 going to empty out and the dead in Christ will rise first. So you're not going to sleep through this alarm, understand? When Christ returns, we're going to be woke. 
Now, you history buffs will appreciate this. You guys know Winston Churchill, British prime minister? Churchill was a Christian. A lot of people don't know that. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. He trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And when he died in 1965, Churchill planned his own funeral. He had a state funeral. Heads of state leaders all around the world came. And when they went to Churchill's funeral, it was a little surprise. Because as Churchill's coffin was lowered in the ground, he had paid a bugle player from the military to play taps. You guys know what tap sounds like? It's a sad, somber melody as the body is lowered into the ground and everybody salutes the departure. But this is what's interesting. Those of you who've been in military funerals are like, well, of course they do that. Everybody does that. Churchill, because he was a Christian, he believed his body would one day be woken up or resurrected by Christ. And so unbeknownst to anybody in the military, he had secretly arranged for a second bugle player to be hiding in the steeple of the church. And so when people filed out after Churchill's funeral outside the church, he paid that bugle player to immediately play another tune called Reveille. You know what that one is? Wake up! Wake up, everybody! Your commanding officer is here. Here he comes. Get up out of bed. Everybody get up. Because Churchill believed that he expected the call to go to sleep would one day be followed by Christ's command to get up, rise up. Your king is here. See, the resurrection of Christ, the return guarantees this resurrection that dead Christians are raised back to life. Notice here it says the trumpet call of God won't raise all the dead, but believers only. In other words, a time will come later when all the dead will rise and stand before God's throne for judgment. This is not that time. At this first call, only those who've died, trusting Jesus Christ for salvation, will be first in line for the resurrection bodies. And like, can I just say, like, this is such a source of hope if you've lost a loved one who knew the Lord. You know, at Christmas, families typically get together, but maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? There's going to be someone missing from our table this year. That's going to be hard. I was downstairs in our basement, like, getting the decorations out, and I came across this family photo collage from 10 years ago, and my wife Colleen and I were looking at it, and we're like, I can't believe it. Look, look at this. Uncle Sal, he's gone. May May is gone. Poppy Joe is gone. Grandma's gone. There's my dad. My dad's gone, and Dennis is gone, and gone, gone, gone. We lost seven family members in seven years. That's a lot of loss, isn't it? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you lost a parent, or a cousin, or a brother, or a sister, or God forbid, a, a child. It's that moment when somebody unexpectedly gets sick, and there's a transition, and all of a sudden, the return of Christ seems very relevant, does it? doesn't it? Because you think about where they went. You think about their eternity. But Paul writes here, he says, when believers lose a loved one who trusted in Christ for salvation, yeah, we're sad because we miss them temporarily, but we don't grieve like the others who have no hope. Paul says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, every Christian who dies can claim this promise. When we die, our body goes in the ground. 
But our soul or our spirit instantly goes to heaven in the presence of Jesus. And so when Christ returns, your body will be raised as well, back to life, reunited with your spirit. And so Paul says, hey, go ahead and grieve when you lose someone, but never grieve without hope because it's temporary. All those cemeteries you drive by on the parkway, all those graves, at the trumpet call of God, those bodies that were resting in peace will be, wake up renewed, raised to life as they meet Jesus in the air. And guys, this is the unshakable source of Christian hope. On the cross, Jesus Christ defeated death, and the Bible says death lost its sting. It's like when Jesus was raised, it's like he broke open the jaws of death and pulled the fang out. Because just like the grave can't hold Jesus Christ, the grave can't hold Christians either. Amen? That's the promise. It's such hope for Christians. Guys, this promise was so powerful that early Christians had a special word. They had a secret greeting. Did you know that? Like we see each other, we're like, sup, man? Sup, dog? <laughs> if you were in the first century, you know how the early Christians greet each other? They would shake hands and they would say, Maranatha. Maranatha. Maranatha is this Aramaic word that means the Lord is coming. He's almost here. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. This was their great hope. I think so many modern Christians were kind of like, ah, oh, I'm not so sure because we're in love with the world. We actually have no vision for the world to come for our eternity. But if I said that to you, man, Maranatha, the Lord's coming, maybe tonight, how would you feel? Excited? Nervous? Paul says the return of Christ will include a resurrection of dead believers followed by the rapture where living Christians will be taken away to heaven. Now, verse 17 is where we get the term rapture from. It says this, After that, we who are still alive... And our left will be what? What's the phrase, church? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, that phrase caught up is a Latin word. It says rapio. Can you say that? Roll your R. Rapio. It means seized up, snatched up, raptured away. And the picture is when Christ returns, the dead will rise first. But those who are living will be snatched away in the twinkling of an eye. I remember one time... Our family was down the Jersey Shore, and I had my little kids. My little girl, I think, was like three or four at the time, and we were holding hands and hopping waves together, right? And this big wave came, it was like, you know, like splash in the face, and I lost my grip, and my little girl, all of a sudden, I look, where, where'd Chase go? And I look around, and she's face down in the water. You ever have that happen, parents? And you're like, <gasps> everything goes into slow motion, and then it speeds up. What did I do? It took me about 0.1 second. I snatched her up, and it's like, boom, we are back on the blanket, back to the safety of daddy, right? How long did that take me? That didn't take me a second. It happened in a split second. That's the picture here. Jesus will rapio, rapture living Christians, snatch them away when he returns. And the scripture actually says, the Bible says it'll happen in the twinkling of an eye. Not the blinking of an eye. Too long. The twinkling of an eye. In other words, the amount of time it takes for a beam of light to cross your iris, gone, rapio, snatched up, raptured. In Matthew 24, when Jesus talked about his return, he described it this way. He said, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. I know we live in modern times. So we might say, when Christ returns, two people may be texting. 
One is taken, the other left, right? It's like, hey, where'd you, oh, it's just a dot, 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 like, never gonna hit send, you know? Or let's make it more personal. Um, uh, you know, a bunch of relatives are sitting, you know, together in church and 12 are taken and, and one to, two are left. Or, or there's a family around a dinner table and, and, and four are taken and one's left. And the question is, ready? Are you ready, friends? Because ready or not, here he comes. Christ is coming again. Now, when his disciples heard this, they wanted dates and details from Jesus. They're like, when is this going to happen? we got to set the alarms, the calendar. i got to make an invitation, set it on Google Cal. And Jesus told them, this is important. He said, concerning that day and hour, this is so important, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but who? The Father only. In other words, just like the first advent when Jesus came and no one was expecting it, there's a date and time known only to God the Father in the future about his plan of salvation when he will send Christ the second time. And it's kind of funny to me because people love to make predictions for the end of the world. You ever notice this? Like I remember 20 years ago, it was Y2K. Anybody remember that? Y2, like computers are going to freeze and everything's going to end, you know? Then it was like the Mayan calendar in 2012, right? And now, hey, did you know this? Next year, 2020. Do, 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 do. And Jesus is like, forget it. Predictions are pointless. The Bible says no one knows the day or hour. And so Christ says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So you also must be, what's the word? Be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. So the disciples didn't know the dates and times of Jesus' return. Neither did the Thessalonians until Paul took the time to explain the details here. He said, when Christ returns, there's going to be a resurrection of dead Christians. There'll be a rapture of living Christians and finally a beautiful reunion where both dead and living Christians will be reunited with the Lord forever. Look at verse 17, last point. After that, we who are still alive, are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Show of hands, how many of you are going to have a reunion over the next few days with family? You're going to be with family and friends you haven't seen in a while around dinner table, okay? Reunions are sweet, aren't they, right? Well, this is a family reunion, and this reunion has three parts. The dead bodies of believers are reunited with their spirits. The resurrected Christians are reunited with raptured Christians. And the resurrected believers and raptured believers are reunited together with our Lord. And guys, this is such hope in a world of such sorrow. Again, just to make it personal, maybe you lost someone you loved who knew the Lord this year. I just want to say, be encouraged this Christmas. This prophecy is a promise you can take to the bank. You will see them again, maybe sooner than you think. You know, last week, one of my close friends, she lost her grandma or her gram. That's what they call their gram. And you guys know losing someone around the holidays is very, very hard. And a lot, of, a lot of just heartbroken, you know, because, like, we're going to miss her physical presence around the family table. This Christmas is going to be different. But listen to what she wrote on Facebook. I just thought this was amazing. She said, my sweet Graham is in the fullness of his presence, healed and whole. These last few days have been grueling but beautiful. Surrounding Graham and sharing tearful goodbyes as a family in her last hours, it's one of the saddest and sweetest things I've experienced 
It made me feel especially grateful for the family Graham and Pop created, a loving, vulnerable, compassionate, God-loving one. We will carry their legacy on with hopeful anticipation that we will all be reunited someday. Family is everything. You agree with that? Family is everything. Listen, for those of us who are alive, when Christ returns, a family reunion is guaranteed. The Bible says we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Do you see the hope we have? For, for, for a Christian, death is not the final farewell. We never say goodbye forever. We simply see, see you soon. Maranatha. The Lord is coming. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. And when Christ comes, both the living and the dead will be reunited with the Lord forever. Verse 17, take it to the bank. And so we'll be with the Lord. How long, church? Forever, forever is a long time. We're going to be reunited with our Savior, with our loved ones, forever in heaven. You know what the Bible says about heaven? Heaven is not just the presence of Christ. It is the place where there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more lymphoma, no more heart attacks, no more anxiety, no more depressions, no more stillborn births, no more loneliness, the Bible says Christ will wipe them out and then wipe every tear from our eye. Do you see how hope-filled the second advent is? Paul ends with these words, last verse. He says, therefore, let's read this out loud. Therefore, freak each other out with these words. Is that what? <laughs> I didn't say that. It says, therefore, what? Encourage. See, Folks, the return of Jesus isn't not, it's not meant to be a source of fear. It's supposed to be the source of courage and comfort in a broken world that says this broken world is not all there is. Death will be swallowed up by life, and everything that's broken will be healed. All the evil you see, it will be judged, and Jesus will rule and reign with his bride. So no fear, Christ is coming again. Say it with me. Christ is coming again. Again, he's coming again, and he's coming for you. He's coming for you. If you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, to be your Lord and Savior, guys, this is your future. This prophecy is about you. I want you to look around at our world right now. I mean, it's crazy. I've stopped watching the nightly news. It's too much. Mass shootings, corruption, terrorism. I want you to think about something. I'm going to leave you with this thought. For those of you who know Jesus Christ... This present world is as bad as it gets. It's only up from here. But for those of you who don't know Christ, this present world is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets, guys. And so I just want to ask you a question on Christmas Eve. Are you ready? Are you ready for Christ's return? Because ready or not, here he comes. Do you have that confidence? You know where you're spending eternity? Because again, on Christmas Eve, I'm like, I think we're closer today than ever before in history. I'm going to save you some time and just tell you how the, how the story ends. If you flip to the last chapter of the Bible, you'll see the last words of Jesus. These are the last words spoken, attributed to Jesus in Revelation chapter 22. Jesus said, look, I am coming when? You know what John said when he heard Jesus say, look, I'm coming soon. He said, amen, maranatha, 
Come, Lord Jesus. You know what the Greek for that is? Bring it on. Because I'm ready. My Lord is coming. Come on. Do it, Lord Jesus. Come. Could you say that? Ready or not? Because here he comes. Christ is coming again. And on Christmas Eve, I just feel this conviction that God brought some of you here today to tell you, so you also must be ready. Be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you don't expect him. Now, I ask that question, are you ready? And if you're honest, what would you say? Yeah, some of you are. Others of you, if you're honest, you might admit, like, Tim, I, I don't, if this stuff is true, I'm not so sure, you know? Like the way I've lived. <laughs> Maybe there's some junk in your life. The way I am right now, it's not, it's not close to God. Maybe you've done some things you're not proud of. And this idea of meeting Christ face to face, it's not this source of, like, peace and comfort. It's scary to you. Here's the good news. That can change right now. The reason Jesus Christ came at Christmas was out of love for you. The Father loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to reunite you with God. When Christ came the first time for 33 years, he lived the perfect life you could never live. And then he died the death that you and I deserved on the cross. And the Bible says now, raised to life, seated at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus offers forgiveness and eternal life to anybody humble enough to ask for it. You have to ask. And if you do, Christ will forgive you, and you'll receive the greatest Christmas gift of all. It's called salvation. Salvation is what it means to be forgiven by God through faith in Jesus. So instead of facing judgment when Christ returns, you will be resurrected or raptured and reunited with your Lord. Hebrews 9 makes this final promise. It says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. That's the first advent. But he will appear when? A second time, not to bear sin, but to bring what? Salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now understand something. Salvation has nothing to do with you being a good person. Okay, salvation isn't about like, well, I went to church on Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day. So that's three in my favor, okay? <laughs> salvation actually has nothing to do with your moral performance. That's a lie. When Jesus returns, God isn't going to take out the scales and see, do, do your good deeds outweigh your bad? That's not Jesus Christ. That's Santa Claus. It's based on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and nothing else. And so God's going to ask you, what'd you do with my kid? What'd you do with Jesus? I sent him the first time. Tim told you about him the second time. When are you going to wake up and receive him and kneel and say, I have nothing. Let me receive your grace. It's not your works. It's based on the love and grace and forgiveness of Christ. And when you finally... Break down your proud heart. Just say, I can't save myself. God opens the doors of heaven. He says, come on in. He says, this is the free gift. What's a gift? You don't deserve a gift. You don't earn a gift. All you can do is receive a gift. And Christ already paid for the gift of salvation. And you can receive it right now. I believe he's holding it out to some of you. I hope we're here next Christmas. Maranatha. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> But this is a chance for you to receive the gift of salvation for yourself. If you want to do that today, I want to make this as simple as possible because I know we have young kids in the room. We always say to be saved is as simple as A, B, C. A just simply means you admit the truth about yourself. 
you admit your sin to God. You say, you know, I've done some things to offend God. And if you're like, well, I don't really feel like I've done that much to him, then you're guilty of pride. We've all screwed up. We've all fallen short. It's what the Bible calls sin. It's not a popular word. But salvation begins with A, admitting the truth about yourself, and then B, believing the truth about Jesus. That his death on the cross was for your sins. He was sacrificed in your place, and now he's offering eternal life to anyone who's humble enough to give him their heart. You B, believe in Jesus, and then C, you commit your life to follow him. Not perfectly. You will never live a perfect life. But Christ will actually give you his spirit of humility and faith, and you can live with the expectation of seeing him face to face and being changed, you can be with him. Those are the ABCs of salvation, of what it means to be a Christian. And I was like, it's Christmas Eve, so I'm adding a fourth letter. D, do it today. Do it today. Not tomorrow. Do it today. Today is a day of salvation. And you may have come once, twice, maybe you've come a dozen times, coming for years, but maybe today's the day that you receive the gift and you could say, on Christmas, I was born again. Christ was born and I was born again. I had my sins forgiven, my slate wiped clean. I have the guarantee of heaven when I'm not here. I'm ready to meet him if he returns. So I wanna invite you to pray right now. Would you just bow your heads with me, all our campuses? Let's just bow our heads for prayer. And if you're here today and you're like, man, that's me, Tim. God's been speaking to me in, in ways you don't even know. I want to invite you to pray these words right now after me. In fact, let's just all pray them together. Big, loud voice so nobody feels left out. Say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. And I give my life to you. Right now, right here, I ask you to be my Savior. Forgive my sins. Forgive my pride. I turn from them now. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead. And I believe you're coming again. So forgive me and fill me with the Holy Spirit. I give you my life and I live for you. Father God, right now, in this moment, I pray for men and women and boys and girls who uttered those words maybe the first time from their heart with sincerity. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, flood them with the Holy Spirit. Let them know they have passed from death to eternal life. Their sins have been forgiven. They've been born again in the family of God, and they have the guarantee of heaven, eternity with you forever. We give you great praise, Jesus, and we worship and lift up your name on Christmas Eve. And all the church agreed and received it by saying, amen. Would you welcome new believers to the family of God? It's awesome.